Pace Line is supported by LEL Cycling. The coast is calling. LEL's shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LEL products are crafted in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now, on to the show. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Lean Yeager, a.k.a. the Fit Chick of Bicycling Magazine. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. So, there was a big women's race this past weekend. <laughs> uh, the Omlo Het Newsblad. Uh, you said that so well. I can't pronounce any of those races. Yes, there was. Um and it had kind of an unusual occurrence in there. It did. And, uh, you know, I, I which I put up, well, uh, people were posting on my Facebook page. I did not post it, but a lot of people are like, oh, did you see this? Did you see this? Did you see this? <laughs> yes, I saw it. Yes, I saw it. Um, for those who have not, and I'm sure everybody has seen it at this point, the women started 10 minutes, all right, yeah. behind the men's field. Yeah. And the lead woman who was, I believe, off on a flyer yep. by herself caught uh, the back of the men's field. And the picture is priceless because there's a dude, like an official, standing with his arms outstretched to either side and her at a standstill. Yeah. Because they made the, they made the field stop. Mm-hmm. And essentially wait and then restart, which is... So Victorian. So terrible. <laughs> it's so terrible. Anyone who has ever stood on a start line of a big race knows that your nerves are off the chain, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's the worst part of the whole thing is the start line. And then you go, and you like, now it's unfolding. Yeah. And to make everybody stop and get cold, like, literally also get cold, yeah. because they were shivering. Like, Well, it is Belgium. Just, I mean... I, you know, well, yeah, let's be not clear. Tahiti. And it is almost February still. It just <laughs> turned to March. So, I mean, it is still very cold. But it was, ah, you know, I mean, I want to, it just, man, a lot of people are like, what would you do? What would you do? And, you know, it just, it would be really hard not to be like, F you, and just like storm the castle and just keep going. <laughs> you know, like, yep. Yep. damn the torpedoes. They disqualify me, so be it. I'll have made a statement. You know, the but, GoFundMe yeah. to pay her the winner's purse in the face of that, had she done it and then they disqualified her, oh, yeah. the GoFundMe would, would have been seven figures. Oh, yeah. You know, it, we like, we like, I we mean, want just, more of her. Who knows if it, if she would have kept it? You know, probably not. Whatever. It it's a long day. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Let's, what matters is that he just wrecked that whole race. Yeah. Let's, we're here to inspire true sporting greatness. We want to see athletes do their very best. And yeah, there was just it's something exciting so... exciting when people go off on flyers. It's, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's real racing. That's not paint drying, you know? Yeah. And, and this big fat dude with his arms out, I'm not fat shaming, <laughs> but you know, just kind of right, very, right. very not athletic, you know, which can kind of maybe suggest that maybe he doesn't. He's not as plugged into the nature of competition anymore. But, you know, yeah, with him, with his arms out, stopping her, it just, to me, it smacked a Victorian times of, you know, women should not be on bicycles. I don't know. It just, it just, like, what? And, 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 and I might be speaking a million times ignorant here and I don't actually care, but, like, what would have happened if they just let him go? Like, what's the worst that would have happened? I don't know. Excitement? Yeah. Oh, let them like, you know, people were bringing up the old Phillies race where the where the women lapped the men's mm-hmm. field, where they came into the men's field. And Ina Tutenberg was like yelling stuff at them. And like <laughs> and it was exci- it was exciting, you know, so I don't know. I just but what I I mean, no how would that have messed up the men's is, race? That's what I want to know. Show me the harm. That's exactly what I want to know. Yeah. None. None. Yeah. Absolutely none. It would have been super exciting. People would have had a lot to talk about in the more positive direction, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just a shame. It, it, it's just like, ugh. Yeah. It, to me, it's just proof positive that the UCI is not fit to run cycling. 
Is that is that your only indication? <laughs> <Is> that, <laughs> just... No, no. This this is the exclamation point at the end of a very long they, sentence. I was gonna say they've been trying to show us that for a long time. It's yeah, it's such a hot mess. It's yeah. a shame. It's a shame. And it is it that ten minutes is nothing. Ten well, minutes is nothing, which is awesome. But that's, that's not much time. That's typical male arrogance about the ability of women. That's what that oh, says. Oh, now, now I'm now I'm now I'm more upset. See, now I'm getting all fired up. Before I was like fired up about just the face of it, but now I'm digging in, trying to not to be even more fired. Yeah, because ten minutes is nothing. Mm-hmm. It's nothing. Yep. <sighs> yep. <laughs> Slowly, progress is glacial, people. But we're 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 we're, we're doing it. Like we're you know we're not being. Stoned in the city streets anymore well, for being witches. It's fine. Let's remind it's ourselves fine. that here in the U.S. there is a women's race, a stage race that is all women funded Colorado. for some significant period of time. You know? Yep. That's yeah. what no, progress that's is. Yeah. No, we're ma- it, and it is true. We are making progress. It's just, you, it's just, it's just a comedy of ridiculous errors when you look. Uh, it. I'm just going to hold my tongue because we could have a show show on this. But like this whole, like the whole, there's a lot in the Belgium culture that is lovely. And there's a lot that, that maybe needs to be replaced. Let's just, let's just leave it all there. They've had a lot of uh, interesting missteps Yep. this past couple of weeks. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. So that's how I feel about that. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Yes. Moving right along. Uh, what do you got this week? To more exciting topics. <laughs> well, so I don't know if you saw this thing, but I, you know, I knew it was coming, but when to see it like actually be uh, announced, and I, I wrote the little piece on it for bicycling today. Um, speaking of the UCI, they have officially sanctioned the first electric mountain bike championship race in August. <laughs> it would be at Mont Saint... I know, laugh now. It would be at Mont Saint Anne. Um, it's super interesting. So it is officially like an e-bike mountain bike race that will be held on the uh, cross-country Olympic course, yep. which is like 7.3 kilometers around whatever that ends up being. Uh, there, are, there are definitely... Which is interesting because, you know, e-bikes are sort of all over the map. So there are regulations that the, the wattage is limited to 250 watts yep. and governed at 15 miles per hour about, which is about what yep. mountain bikes are. Uh, unless you're in, which I cracked me up, like walk mode. I guess if you you have to like hike the thing, then you can use the walk mode when you're off of it, which which walks at three miles an hour. It's right. some walking speed. Um, you may not carry an extra battery. Not that you'd want to, if anyone has ever seen it. <laughs> that cracked me up. I'm like, what are you going to strap that to? I mean, they're the size of like a cement block. Yeah. Anyway, you can't carry one if you wanted to. You cannot also get a new one in the pits. Can't like, plug in they for have charging feet- either. Yeah. You can't, but this is not a hundred miler. This is a cross country race. So I'm like, that's almost like not even, although, I mean, if you ran the thing on turbo for two hours, you know, I don't know how long they're going to make these people go. Right. But cross country races are typically an hour and a half to two hours, which on turbo, you could go through, you could, you could actually end up trying to sprint for the finish on a dead battery, which would be awesome. Mm -hmm. But, um, because an e-bike weighs 57 pounds, approximately. Anyway, I, I put that up on my Facebook, uh, on the internet, internet socials. And you can imagine there was no, there was no response. Everybody was fine. They, <laughs> <laughs> nobody, nobody had any opinions about that whatsoever. Oh, my Lord. I, the funny thing is, so... You know, a couple of years ago, I would have been one of the torch carriers wanting to burn things down with this announcement. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, it's the end of civilization as we know it. It's motor. Blah, blah. I don't think they're motorcycles. The people that say that, please stop. They're not. I've ridden both. They're just not the same. Um, it is very different. Everyone on them is not necessarily a fat donut eater. I got a lot of that on the on the on the pages too. Of course, it's gonna be. It's going to be exciting. I don't know if it's going to... Re- I hope it doesn't replace tra- acoustic traditional racing. I really, really do. I really do. With all my heart and soul. Okay. There are too but many I of us who just love regular bikes. I, because it's hard to get yourself into that same pain cave on them. I've I've ridden them really hard. And it's, ha- it's hard to... 
it's hard to suffer on them. Well, you know, just, I it, don't it, it entirely just, agree with you on that, but please really? continue. We'll, okay, I'll, I will. I'll get my say. Go ahead. Okay, 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 okay. I'm backing off that a little bit then. Um, what I would be, because it's just going to be a different race, and it's going to be kind of exciting to watch. I mean, it's just going to, because... Like, part of me would love to try that, and I'd be afraid I'd kill myself. Because hmm. I, I don't know how, you know, Mont St. Anne, I assume, is going to be a technical track. Yeah. Right? Just because, just given the history. Yeah. And I've ridden e-bikes here on my backyard trails, which are super technical. And it's a whole other kind of brain space finesse technical thing to figure out like you go humming into a rock garden at 15 miles per hour with all all your wattage like blazing and you're in for a world of trouble right so like i found myself toggling my switch like no not turbo i want eco no i want sport what do i want you know like hitting that Mm -hmm. because it it depends how much wattage it gives you so that is going to be i think it's just going to be interesting to watch i mean and maybe the and, 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 and probably the people at that level that will be racing them will be finessy enough to just keep the thing pinned on turbo the whole time and just and just ratchet. I don't know. It's very, they're, they're much different to ride because as soon as you put the pedal down, you get that assist. Yep. So if you do need to like finesse or ratchet or whatever, like your bike is surging. It's, it's a very strange sensation. And assuming these guys are spending and girls too, there's a women's elite and a men's elite are spending a lot of time on them, then... You know, maybe they have that down, but man, I've never gotten it down. I don't know. I the, I think the potential for carnage is high. Um, I don't know. It's going to be super interesting. I, I I I know I've asked you this before, but I I don't remember the extent of your experience on electric mountain bikes. Uh, I've ridden them maybe a half dozen times, but I have done one e mountain bike race when that first demo race was done at Sea Otter a few years ago. You did that. I did it. Oh, what was that like? It was a wild education is what it was. It was a very interesting experience. So now we were on bikes. Is it on the short track? Was it on the short track race? It was a a completely separate course that they came up with for us. Or maybe it was the short track course. Um, Short track course is super short. This was real short. Okay. Yeah. It's got like a punchy up and a little things. And it's it's pretty basic. It's a short track course. Yeah. Um, And... We were on bikes that, if memory serves, maxed out at 18 miles an hour, a little faster. Yeah, it's pretty fast. I could have, I could misremember that. Whatever. The thing that I found, okay, so yes, you can go into stuff too hot and you have to have a completely different set of handling skills for managing, you know, a heavy bike at those speeds. Yes. It's not the same thing. It is not. <laughs> but then there's, uh, so you have to develop a skill in terms of managing the power level just as you do shifting a bike. It's, yes, you've got to be yes. on I, you're that. You're doing that just as much as you're shifting. Right. Yes. So you're managing power full time. On top of that, there's the fact that you've got to figure any really thoughtful race organizer is going to try to set a race distance just longer than you can turbo the entire course so that you can't possibly turbo the whole race and still get across the finish line. It's got to be just longer so that it forces you to think strategically about battery management. Right. Okay. So then you've introduced a brand new technical aspect to this strategic You've, you've got a whole new challenge to think about, you know, the way the same way you'd think about bonking and feeding yourself. You have to think about battery management. Yes. On, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. On top of that, there were times where I was on a slight downhill, mm-hmm. say two or three degrees and or two or three percent. And I would actually manage to outrun turbo. So I'd be doing 18, oh. 20 miles an hour. Or have the ability to do 18 or 20 miles an hour. Actually, you know, yeah, I think it was 15 because it's 16 miles an hour. I was faced with a choice. I could either kill myself in zone five to pedal (laughs) a 55 pound bike at 16 miles an hour. Or I could back off one mile per hour and pedal in zone two or three. 
What does that feel? I've not, I've not had enough open. I'm not. I don't think I've exceeded the governor on one on our tracks. What does that feel like? It all of a sudden you feel like you're pushing a sandbag. Like what is that? Yeah, it, it's uh, it's like somebody shifted your bike into the eleven. Wow! Just suddenly you're That's in the eleven. It's like, oh that my alone God. is interesting. Yeah, it's. It's crazy. Huh. So that's pretty. So then you have this other strategic element that you really have to think about. Right. Right. And yeah, the the physics of a 50, 55 pound bike flying into a rock garden or over wet roots. They're very different. (laughs) And, you know, there are some former pro mountain bikers who are racing e-mountain bikes. Oh, yeah. I want to say Philippe Mirhage. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yes. You know, so this is not something where, where some garden variety, low level elite rider is finally going to get those stars and stripes or, or rainbow stripes. Oh, that, no. And anyone who's thinking that is out of their mind. Yeah. Like that's not that's not with this. I am curious, like what the what the how like how big the fields will be like what I, I like, you know, I'm, I'm I am curious to see how who shows up, like what what that looks like with rainbow stripes on the line. The field will fill. Yeah, there are a lot fair. of people no, who are just going to be so inspired. I could really get rainbow stripes. <laughs> the first year? Are you kidding me? Opens They're travelocity going to come out of the woodwork, out of the woodworks. Yeah. because it, it's only going to get harder. Right, right. Like <laughs> it's only going to get harder. Yeah, but to your earlier point about trying to go flat out on an e mountain bike, it is difficult. Part of the problem mm-hmm. is all those little things that you would hit so much more slowly on a climb and you can just unweight yourself a little over. You're hitting them twice as fast, two and a half times as fast. And so all those little finessey things that you used to do are no longer applicable. So you, yep. you're going flat out and then suddenly it's like, oh, I got to get off the saddle. I got to do. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's. It's a real thing. It's going to be an interesting thing. Some people won't like this thing, but the thing won't stop being a thing. Oh, it's not, it's not going to stop being a thing. Yeah. And the genie is way out of the bottle and is granting <laughs> wishes. And one of them is a rainbow striped jersey. So it is not. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it is not going to go away. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, I think you have to be a giant curmudgeon to be to think like it's not even going to be remotely interesting to watch whether or not you want e-bikes in your backyard or not. Yeah. But, yeah. I wish I had a little sound clip of Darren what's his face from My Dream of Genie going, "Genie!" Like <laughs> so many, so many genie clubs. Oh. <laughs> uh, so there, yeah, yeah, it's it's all gonna take place this August. So I got friends going up, not for the e-bike race, but it's it is tempting to make the little journey and see how that looks. Yeah, it would be a lot of fun to get you there and and then have you report on that experience afterward. Yeah, yeah. We we'll say we could talk to some people. okay so this week i have a guest it's jim cummins the mastermind of what is one of the world's largest gravel events and arguably the longest of the one day events dirty kanza i wanted to check in with him ahead of this year's race for a couple of reasons one of which is uh they were purchased this last fall by lifetime fitness and i wanted to see what that means for the event so without further ado Here's Jim Cummins. Well, Jim Cummins, welcome to the Paceline. How are you? I'm doing well, Patrick. Thank you for uh, having me on today. Now, there's been a little change uh, in the last year or so. I don't remember quite when the purchase was, but uh, you've been purchased by Lifetime Fitness, and I understand you have a new title now. What is it? <laughs> uh, that is correct. Back in September, we uh, Dirty Kansas Promotions was acquired by Lifetime, uh, and uh, Dirty Kansas is now part of their uh, family of uh, Lifetime Signature Events. And uh, with regards to my title, I am now uh, uh, with the title of uh, Chief Gravel Officer for Lifetime. <laughs> CGO, I like it. <laughs> 
That's great. I don't really know what that means, but uh, it's, it sounds fancy anyway. <laughs> I love creative uh, titles. Now, uh, it sounds like from our conversation before we began the actual interview portion of the interview, um, that your role with the event is going to evolve some in the coming years. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Uh, yeah. So, um, uh, when we were dirty cans of promotions, uh, I was, uh, very blessed, uh, to, uh, be just part of, uh, an amazing team of co-owners. And, uh, one of those co-owners was, uh, Leland Danes. Um, we all four, uh, or all th- three of us, uh, myself, Leland and Christy, by the way, have, um, been, uh, retained by, a lifetime. We all are uh, employees now, um, but um, uh, Leland Danes is uh, moving into the role of uh, operations manager for uh, Dirty Kansas, and um, so I will be, uh, to a certain degree, um, transitioning away from you know the day-to-day uh, operations of the event. And uh, more into a role of uh, uh, looking for opportunities to uh, uh, strengthen and expand the Dirty Kansas of brand and, uh, you know, looking at uh, where is the gravel genre going and, and what does that mean for Dirty Kansas and Lifetime and, and uh, how can we uh, be part, you know, continue to be part of that uh, movement and, and expansion of the entire genre of gravel. Very cool. Now, Barry Roubaix has billed itself as the biggest gravel event going with 3,000 or so uh, attendees or or, uh, riders. Uh, I understand this is going to be a little bit bigger addition for you. How many people are we talking for this year? Uh, Yeah, so between our uh, four key distances, the 200 mile, the 100, uh, the 50, and the 25, uh, last year in 2018, we had uh, about 2,750 participants. Uh, For 2019, uh, we're anticipating having right at 3,000 participants. Wow. So on on par to be you know, one of the very biggest events going, not just in terms of reputation, but actually in terms of participants. Uh, yeah, I guess that would be true. Very cool. Okay, so uh, here comes the big reveal portion of our show. I'm coming back this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can't wait to have you. This well, be thank great. you. And, you know, Jim, the whole reason I'm coming back is what I witnessed. You know, you you asked me when I when I originally visited the event, you said you wanted me to do the half pint so that I could be at the finish to see people coming in for the 200 and see what that experience is. And I'm not necessarily sure that my takeaway was the same one you wanted me to have, but what mm-hmm. blew me away was the level of emotion there at the finish line of how mm-hmm. people would get off their bikes and you'd give them a big old bear hug and they'd walk away in tears. Mm-hmm. And to me, seeing that level of emotion signifies, you know, that this must really be a, a peak experience for a cyclist in their, in their riding life. And I got to have me some of that. I, <laughs> you know, that's um, great. It was it was nice to cross the line and you know shake your hand, shake Leland's hand. That was cool and everything, but uh, to get choked up and and see uh, tears welling up in somebody's eyes, um, I want to know what that sense of accomplishment is like. So I'm coming yeah. back. Yeah, it's a, it's a magical feeling for sure. Uh, we have been referred to as cycling's most. Deep finish line experience sorry you broke uh, up a little say that again your cycling's most what cycling's most emotional finish line experience okay so that uh you know that that um means a lot to us that that uh, people would refer to us in such a manner and that uh uh it 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 plays into you know how we uh, approach this event and 
and uh, the kind of experience that we hoped to be able to provide uh, for for people. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've got my half my half pint glass, and I certainly uh, drink out of it on occasion. But that is such an also ran to seeing you guys standing right there. I wasn't going to get out of the finish line area without having to pass you two. And (laughs) for all the events I've finished in my life where I was handed some sort of medal or ribbon or whatever, just for getting through the thing, uh, you know, by and large, they don't mean anything. And that, that half pint class is cool enough, but it's a total also ran to my experience of seeing you guys there. So I, I can appreciate, uh, you know, why you're billed that way. Yeah. Now, yeah, a little brass tacks here. What do you hear people say was the most helpful aspect of getting ready for the full 200? Um, to treat it uh, not as a 200-mile challenge, but as four 50-mile challenges. Hmm. Okay. You know, a bite at a time. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to eat that whole elephant in one bite. Um, <laughs> break, it down, break it down to a manageable uh, amount mm-hmm. and pack uh, it step by step. And, uh, you know, take care of yourself along the way. Right. Right. Yeah. What's the biggest equipment regret you regularly hear? Uh, tire selection, probably. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> yeah. In, in what yeah. way? That they weren't well, durable enough, not wide enough? Yeah. Yeah. Dur- yeah. It, 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 people will uh, oftentimes make the mistake of uh, thinking that a light, lighter tire will be faster, but there's nothing fast about being stopped at the side of the road, changing a flat tire. So, right. um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'll, I'll of course uh, put a plug in for Maxxis tires being our official tire sponsor. They're, they're amazing, amazing tires. But I think the, the, the most important uh, criteria uh, in tire selection uh, is just make sure they're new. Mm. Okay. Don't, don't show up with old worn out tires. <laughs> I, I can dig that. Yes. What do you tell people about goal setting, you know, in terms of getting ready for the event? You know, what are the big landmarks you think? Well, I think, we, you know, a person needs to be uh, uh, realistic in, in, um, in, in their goals. But uh, at the same time, we, we encourage people to certainly push themselves. Um, but, uh, you know, every, everybody's going to have... Uh, their own goal. You know, some people are going to be out there, uh, the, the, the very select few are going to be out there vying for the win, but uh, most people are going to be out there for just their own personal challenge. And, uh, you know, is that finishing before the sundown? You know, that, that may be the case for a lot of people. Um, others, it, it may just purely be uh, to finish. Um but, uh, you know, be realistic about uh, your abilities and uh, and then uh, maybe ratchet it up a little bit and push yourself a, a, a bit. But, uh, you know, be, be realistic, set, set realistic, um, but uh, s- still at the same time, stretch goals. Yeah, I, I can appreciate that. I certainly would like to finish before sundown, but I'm not yet at a point where I th- I'm willing to commit myself to that. I want to just make sure that I finish and I'm aware that if I set a goal too high, that that could put me at risk for finishing at all. Right. Right. I'm going to admit that I'm a little bit concerned about what I've undertaken. When I did the half pint, dude, it was a bluebird year. Conditions were perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, In reading about previous editions of Dirty Kanza, the odds kind of seem like they're against that for this year. What is the <laughs> what does the farmer's almanac tell you to expect? You know, that's a great question, Patrick. I've not looked at the your farmer's almanac, so I, I don't know the answer to that. But uh, you know, you you just got to be ready for about everything. Um, we've had years where you know it was barely eighty degrees. We've had years where it was over a hundred. Uh, we've had dry years. We've had wet and muddy years. We even had a year with a tornado. So uh, you just got to be ready for about anything Mother Nature decides to throw at you. Yeah, that's 
uh, I mean, I can bring the kitchen sink. <laughs> I can't ride with the kitchen sink, though. So that's the part right. that concerns me. I got to right. figure this out. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we uh, we usually don't look at the forecast until Friday night uh, because <laughs> if you look at it too soon, the only thing you you can be sure of is that it's going to change. So, yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you in Emporia in June. We can't wait to see you here, Patrick. So uh, good luck with your training and uh, safe travels. And uh, we'll we'll be anxious to uh, welcome you to Emporia. Again, that was Jim Cummins, the race director of Dirty Kansas. So, Celine, Mm -hmm. (laughs) as I have revealed, (laughs) I'm planning to ride the 200. Um, yeah. For me, for me, this is not so much a once in a lifetime chance uh, as a once in a lifetime effort. As I've explained several times on this show and within RKP, I've got a degenerative nerve condition called spinal stenosis, which is actually remarkably common in cyclists who've had their 50th birthday. The longer I ride, the longer I stay in one position, the more pain I have. But the thing is, after seeing people come down the finishing chute and watch Jim and Leland there to greet people at the end of such a long day was remarkable. It, you know, for me doing the half point, it was nice to shake Jim's hand at the end, but I wasn't emotional. What I saw from so many mo- from so many folks was real emotion. My friend Heidi Rents of the Cyclist Menu was in mm-hmm. tears. <laughs> to me, it, you know, I got a shot of it, even though I'm thinking she was not particularly wild about it at the time. She liked it when I shared it with her Nobody later. Nobody is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But to me, that's a signifier that it must have been one of the more powerful experiences of her cycling life. I want to get a taste of that, if only mm-hmm. once. As I've never mm-hmm. done a double century on the road, I've done plenty of double metrics, but not double you know, 200 mile centuries on the Mm -hmm. road, never done one. Mm -hmm. So this is likely to be my one and only time doing that sort of distance. Uh, I have, I have tentatively set a goal for myself. I'd like Mm -hmm. to finish before sundown. That's a good goal. I checked the Googles and, Mm -hmm. uh, I'll have 14 hours and 43 minutes in order to beat Mm -hmm. sundown. Um, this is where I ask you to tell me how crazy I am, or, or maybe instead you could just share your experience and strength. (laughs) (laughs) It, yeah, it's, um, oh, I have so many thoughts. So uh, the first time I did it was 2013 and, uh, I was very frankly in the shape, the, the cycling shape of my life that year. Mm-hmm. I had done Rebecca's, uh, I had done Brazil race, which is a stage race in Brazil with Rebecca. Um, it was just kind of like, we were just in very, very, very good form. So this was, this was a, it was very, very, very hard. Uh, I, but I, I kept it together pretty well. My feet felt like they wanted to secede from my body towards the end, which is something that I have never felt before. I had gotten, like, my feet felt like they were in vices, and I was in incredible pain. But we can talk about shoes later. <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, it's, here's the thing that, that you need to know. And, and you know, because I went back in 2000, after I got done, I said never, ever, ever again either. Like, everybody who finishes says never, ever again, because it's, in, it's incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went back in 2017 because Jim and Leland were having that 200 woman initiative and I was speaking on the board and I gave Allison Tetrick all these like mantras that she still lives by, which blows my mind. Uh, She won. I want to take credit for that personally. (laughs) I'm kidding, Allison. Um, Anyway, uh, I was I was also well trained that year and I decided because I've never really gone for anything like just really pushed any event of that length. I was like, I'm just going to go for it because I because everybody feels super well. You're going to finish that first hundred and be like, I'm going to rock this thing. And then you go into that second hundred and it's a whole different race. The race starts at 100 miles. And that is really the thing to keep in mind. Yeah. Like. Like when Jim says, push yourself, do so very judiciously and don't do it until the final, maybe 30. 
Mm-hmm. Seriously. Mm-hmm. That if I have any advice to anybody, it's that. Because the demons don't come out until about 160 yeah. out there. Because what happens is the first, you know, race day magic, whatever, it's cool. You're still energetic. You're tapered. There's big packs. It's not so bad. You get to 100. You're like, I feel bionic. And then you get out. And the 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 gap from the aid station at 100 to the next one is about 68 miles. And the sun comes up. And the winds kick up and you start coming undone. And that's where everybody, that's where people just, you see it. Like people just start shattering mm-hmm. all over the prairie. Mm-hmm. And in 2017, I was one of them. I threw up on my bike. I got, you know, I got so hot. I was cold. I had to, like, I actually had to sit down at an aid, which I've never done in my life. I had to sit down at aid station three and have two Cokes. And a bag of potato chips and think about my life before I got... But, like, the lights were just... I just finished. I beat the sun. I beat the sun. I still beat the sun because I was raging so much the first three... <laughs> the mm. first three quarters of it, I was able to to make it in. Um, but it's it's definitely... I always tell people if they're interested in doing Kanzo, they should certainly do it once because it's like nothing else you've ever done. It's, it's not... Uh, it, and it's just... It, honestly, I think it's just... The, that distance... Off-road is extraordinarily hard because, as you know, I did coast to coast last year, which is longer. It's 213 miles across Michigan. Mm -hmm. The terrain is a little different. It's not you're not worried about flats so much because it's not rocky, but it's very sandy. So you could be sinking and sifting. Yeah. Uh, And I still like around 168 started to question everything I've ever done. Why am I here? This is terrible. Everything hurts, you know, and then you like it. And it's in that same no man's land where you start doing math and you shouldn't even be doing math because you don't want to just be like, oh, my God, I've got 70. How many more miles to go? Um, And then you get close and you get super emotional because you've done it and you start crying and somebody hugs you and you get a beer that uh, don't don't eat anything salty because actually the dust starts to uh I, I didn't even realize this. The, the dust sometimes kicks up so much it your palate gets raw. So you go to eat like some salty food or chips or something, and it, it feels like your palate has just lit on fire. So just another thing to be aware of when you uh, come in. Holy but, cow! Yeah, am I helping? Um, I'm not sure I'm helping. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so out of curious, out of curiosity, your your first hundred that day. You finished Which in, day? in roughly what? Oh, the, the second I finished, day. Oddly, I finished both times in about the same time oh, because okay. the first time a bunch of us went off course. So mm. it was actually 209 miles. Like, so we, so it was still, yeah, they, that was before GP, like oh. GPX files mm-hmm. and you still had like the maps and I'm oh like, don't give me a map. Um, so, both of them were about 13, 13 and a half with stops, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. And your first hundred you finished in roughly how long? I don't remember. Oh, okay. I would have to look that up. But it goes by quickly. Mm-hmm. It definitely goes by, you're surprised. Everybody says the same thing. The first hundred goes by quite quickly. I mean, there's hills and there's things. Watch for the mud. If there's mud, don't ride through it. You know, like a, a million things that people learn because that mud is derail your snapping peanut butter instantly. It's terrible. Uh, I didn't know that my first year. Mm. <laughs> and a bunch of us went through a bog not knowing and ended up standing there trying to like desperately get all this stuff off of our bikes. Yeah. So that, again, you know, you know, the years that it rains, a right. lot of it turns, you know, like that. So, um yeah, it's you know I know a lot of people are gunning for it. It's funny we had a, a listener question about Kansas too. Yeah, and somebody somebody had keyed in because I don't know what you're planning on doing, but the way that I had mentioned in the last show and in previous shows that I train for these large things is incorporate other events into them because it's just easier. Mm-hmm. Like I was saying, I would ride to one of those Kermesse Spring Classics with a friend, do the Spring Classic, and then we'd ride back to Philly or we'd ride wherever, and it ends up being a 130-mile day. But it's broken up, so it's nice. You've got aid stations like you would have. You've got company like you would have. It's just a better way to approach it. Uh, and uh, the listener, Neil, was asking, you know, he's like, well, you know, 
So after I do my thing, and I guess the the event that he does is a little fast, and I'm tired, should I, you know, should I push it, or should I just phone it in, or should I take the bus? And, you know, I'm just like, you should, whatever you're doing, you should definitely do, you should do some fatigue training. You should push yourself when you're tired, Mm. because you are going... I believe in training very hard so the event doesn't feel as hard. Like, that's always been my mindset. Like, I want the event, I want to have been there as close as I can when I get to how I'm going to feel an event. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not to say you need to do 200 miles, but I, I believe in doing, trying to do 150 if you can. It's like a marathon. Like, I've always, whenever I trained for marathons, I always made sure I ran just over 20 miles in my training because Mentally, I think that helps. Like, I know I've been there. I don't have all this no man's land in front of me. And it's the same thing out there. Like, like I'm saying, those 160, if you haven't hit one, it's hard to know what all that feels like until you've done it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And definitely, 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 I could go on all day. Everyone training for Kanza, please practice with your bike completely set up the way you're going to race it. Go out and do at least 50 miles completely set up the way you were going to race it because people you would not believe that like people have not trained at all with their bikes set up how they are and water bottles are flying out and bottle cages are falling off and everything's rattling off their bikes because they're just not they just they you know they know what they're going to do and they've set it up but they haven't practiced that way and it's oh boy yeah yeah uh I, yeah, I figured I should probably try to knock out 150 at some point. I would recommend that. It gives you confidence, yeah. if nothing else. Yeah. Um, when the last of the grasshoppers for the spring comes up, uh, Super Skags, it's 96 miles with mm-hmm. a fair piece of dirt in there. Um, maybe uh, maybe 30-ish miles out of that mm-hmm. is dirt. I was thinking that it would probably be really smart for me to ride home from there. I don't want to ride to it. Right. That's fair. But riding home, that's, uh, I'm not, I'm not even sure how long, how many miles it is. It's at least 20, uh, but probably more than, um, so that was one of the things I was thinking of doing, but that's a good idea to hear you say that breaking it up, just getting the miles in, in one day, but breaking it up that, that helps give me some uh, encouragement for how to plan this out. Yeah, because you're not going to be, you don't need to do it all by yourself. You're not, because out in Kansas, you're not going to be all by yourself. Right. You're going to be with people. You're going to be, you know, yeah. it's, so it's fine. It's totally fine to to break it up. And you're going to get off your bike and, and grab some food and get back on your bike. Like, all that stuff is legit. Like, yeah. so I think that it's it's a very good way to prepare yourself and to figure out like, okay, I'm going to carry this. I'm going to grab this at aid stations. Like it helps you just sort yourself out. Mm-hmm. So you just, so when the day comes, you know, you, you have a better idea of how you're going to execute it. Yeah. When, in terms of support, uh, did you just use their neutral support or did you have a crew? <laughs> the first year I had a crew, but it was a cluster and it was terrible because I beat everybody like after the first aid station, I beat everybody to the next ones, and the crew hadn't caught up. Oh, so I was sharing support. So I ended up begging for food. I was on my own essentially, um, which was it just didn't work out. Uh, so after that, I just paid. You can now uh, pay for their neutral support. It goes through a charity, right? And they, which is I highly recommend because they have drop bags. So you can give them your drop bags. So you can have your own stuff. Yep. And they have a ton of stuff there that you have access to. It's the way to go. So if you don't want, which often happens in these things, you open your bag and like, I don't want any of that. <laughs> at least you can look at the table. You know what I mean? And be like, oh, I'll have some of whatever they brought. Okay. I thought I wanted these things and they all look horrible. Yeah. I will grab, you know, one of their sandwiches instead. I like, didn't even realize nice that option. when I did the half pint, I had my own drop bag you know, and use their services and then managed to get somebody to lube my chain for me because it was already oh. noisy at that point. Easily. Yeah. Yeah. That place sucks up any lube on any chain very quickly. Yeah. So I, you know, I planning that out doesn't really bother me, but making sure that, you know, I understand how to get to it and whatnot, that 
concerned me a little bit more. It's not like rolling into a rest stop at any other event where you just stare at the table. You know, you're asking around, well, where's where's the neutral support thing? Where's, you know, I I don't have a team here. Point me and, you know, you find it and then they're spending five minutes looking for, what was your last name? Brady as in Bunch, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, so it's going it, to, yeah, I've got a lot ahead of me. And I am certainly concerned about the darkness, which I, I've heard about plenty from Yuri Hoswald and some other writers. Yeah, you mean the internal darkness. You yes. don't mean sunset. I don't mean lights. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are no lights for that darkness. Yeah. Uh, yes. I mean, I'll bring lights because who knows? It might be a, a, a damp oh, year. Oh, it's worth bringing lights because yeah. you have no idea. Yeah. Right. No, totally have lights in your job. Totally worth it to have those in the drop bag because you want to finish. Uh, it, even if it's yeah, things go sideways. So you got plenty of time. You can finish. Right. But it's, uh, um, yeah, the, the only thing that will get you through that internal darkness is knowing that it doesn't last. <laughs> And sometimes it can be a little hard to convince yourself of that. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. That is a fact. I, one of the big things for me, so often I've had my best finishes at events when I've started slowly, when I, when I haven't just blazed out from the start. And it's line. hard to do out there because that freaking thing starts like there's a whole shot somewhere. Yeah. Because the, especially now that there's all these people that are gunning to win it and at a high level, like, so now you've got like people just charging. It's always been that way, but it's even worse because everybody wants to make the selection and they want to make it sooner. Mm -hmm. So to not, it's one thing to try to get with a group and just save your energy at a comfortable pace for you. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't do that because it's so hard to do. So they find themselves with a pack that is just a little too hot for them, but they're excited and it feels exciting. Mm -hmm. And they just don't even know that they're burning energy that they're not going to get back, that they're going to need 10 hours later. Yeah. And it, you know, literally it is 10 hours later. So it's, if you can have the discipline to do that, you'll be rewarded. I plan to start at the back, if not with a slight gap between me and the rest of the pack. I, I hope I can stick to that. But I mean, the worst I ever blew apart in a century, it was in the Angeles crest. You know, we got up above 8,300 feet, started at, 3,000, you know, there was a lot of climbing that day, 10 or 12,000 feet. And we started like it was a crit. We were doing 20 miles per hour into a headwind on a 4% slope. And when I blew, uh, I, you know, I don't know, NASA probably registered it. It was, (laughs) it was bad. And when I did the half pint, I started slowly. I was going to try to pace a friend that day. And finally, after 20 or so miles, she was like, get out of here. Uh, she, she yeah. couldn't sustain the sort of pace that she wanted. And she could see that I was really strong and I was reluctant, but uh, on a, on a Everyone hill, has to go their own pace though, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Uh, she stopped at the bottom of a hill and I was at the top and I waited and waited and wasn't seeing her come. So finally I did roll. Um, but I finished really strong. I was picking up speed almost until the last 10 miles. Just kept feeling better and better. It was also a bluebird day that year, right? 2017. It was perfect conditions. And so Mm -hmm. one of the other things I, that really concerns me is yeah, if it's wet, that's fair. That's, but there's nothing you can. There's nothing you can do about it. There's right. nothing like except have rain stuff and a, and a mud stick. You know, seriously, like that you can't. Yeah. People people make themselves insane watching the weather, and then a tornado rips through that nobody saw coming. Like that, like happened last year. Like mm-hmm. you know, everyone was watching the weather, and they had to delay the start because those storms just came charging through. I mean, it's that's that is how it is in the middle of the country. Yep. So it's just. You know, get off weather.com for 15 days ahead of time. <laughs> You'll get like maniacal. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I'm in it now. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> All right. Thank you. I'm sure uh, we'll be talking about this again. Yeah, it may come up. <laughs> All righty. <laughs> what do you say? Baseline picks? Sure. Uh, I have my pick 
My pick is my pick, but it's not my pick. Does that make sense? <laughs> no. So I, I, <laughs> so I have a pick, but I don't want to like have it. It's not a lot of times my picks are ringing endorsements for something I love or whatever. Okay. But this pick, this pick is more something that is amazing, but I'm not, it's not me ringing bells going, everybody should have it. It's just more of a, it's more of a, a talking point pick. So it's the specialized S-Works Exos shoes. Have you? Are you familiar with these? I know I've talked about the recons, I've which seen are them. the gravel shoes. Yeah, I've seen them which on are, the uh, on the site, but haven't you know they haven't passed through my colon or uh, anything. I have a pair of them in my hand that I have to put a paperweight in so they don't float off my. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they are they are insane. It's like having a Dyneema slipper. I mean, it's the best way I can describe it. Wow, my. My new and they're I haven't had these new rubberized uh, speed play cleats uh-huh. yet. This is new to oh, me. Oh, the Aero cleat. But yeah, yeah, the Aero cleat. <laughs> the infinitely more walkable cleat. It does look like I won't kill myself quite as much. I've rocked speed plays. This is the only pedal I've used for pretty much my whole, entire cycling career. I've tried other things and then I've always gone back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is this is a new cleat for me, and I think it it now has doubled the weight of the shoe, even though the cleat is much lighter than <laughs> they used to be. But they are, I mean, they're, they do feel like uh, magical watt slippers, but they are $500. Mm. You know, so for your $500, I mean, you get the carbon plate and the stiffness index of 13 and the Dyneema fibers and the BOA, and they weigh 150 grams, which is. Wow. That's yeah, 15 light. paper clips. 15 paper clips. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, wait, no, no, no. It's 150 paper clips. It's 15 dimes. Okay. Sorry. Both of those things are still astonishing. Yeah. Um, okay, but it does feel that. Like, literally, it, it feels like nothing. And they feel like little magical watt makers on your feet. That's true. But uh, I don't know. Like, it's same with the recons, which I'm like, these, re- which also are amazing. And they're very light and they're very stiff and they're super comfortable. I have a hard time wrapping my head around four hundred fifty and five hundred dollar pairs of shoes, and the part of me just hopes that maybe there'll be a trickle down effect. Where because I want it to be more egalitarian than mm-hmm. that. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. this is just me being a hippie or whatever. But like, you know, I can't just be like, look at these amazing shoes. Oh well, if 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 we could all just pay five hundred dollars, I don't know. I just struggle with it. I struggle with it. I don't know. What do you? I, um, like there's something I don't know. I, there, that's my pick. <laughs> what do you think? Well, I I will say that you know the value proposition depends on just how many years you get out of those shoes. That I know is plenty fair. of people who are buying you know hundred and fifty dollar pairs of shoes every year. That is true. You know, I, and I don't have any long term testability sure. on these because they just They're hit new. my hand. But yeah. that's right. Um, but that. Is very fair. I have destroyed because I destroy everything, as we have said many times on the pace line. Um, I've destroyed many a two hundred dollar pair of shoes quite easily. Yeah. So if these Dyneema shoes, both road and gravel, are as indestructible as they seem, that is an investment. Yes. And I'm okay with an investment because I will invest in a good jacket mm-hmm. because a good jacket just le- makes everything better and it lasts forever. Right. Yep. I mean that's just. Yeah. So I yeah. I reviewed a pair of custom shoes years and years ago when I was at Bicycle Guide and proceeded to ride them for the next eight seasons. They were $700 shoes, but wow. they it's fit. like a good hiking boot. They fit magically. And yeah, mm-hmm. I got eight seasons out of them. They're still even sort of workable now. What finally gave? Uh, I was starting to tear the mesh that was in the upper. Yeah. Um, Eight seasons, though, is, uh, yeah, that's a long time. Yeah, yeah. And it was worth it. And I've got some D2 custom shoes, which are notably more expensive. I don't wear them all of the time, uh, partly because I've got other shoes I need to review, partly also because I spend so much time off-road with gravel bikes, mm-hmm. I'm in SPD cleats. On mountain bikes, of course, I'm in SPD cleats. And I have 
I have speed play on the bottom of those D2s. So they don't get as many miles as when I was purely a roadie and, you know, racing crits and road races all the time. So I can't speak to their longevity as much, but I think they're easily as well made as the old Lamson's were, if not better. So, I, you know, my perspective is informed of, you know, yes, it, this is an investment. And, you know, when you start looking at more expensive shoes, on one side, you can get like these, you can get a lighter shoe, or you can go the other direction and it won't necessarily be any lighter, but it will fit you better. And so it's com right. two completely different value right. propositions. What are you getting out of it? But mm -hmm. if the shoe is well-made, you know, then it is worth the investment. And the other thing, to your point about trickle-down that I will say, is that shoes have gotten much better because of all the research that has gone into the high-end shoes. A $150 right. pair of shoes now is better so than a $300 oh pair of shoes was 10 years ago. I would agree with that 100%. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Cool. All right. All righty. Well, my pick, a little less expensive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hard not to be. <laughs> yeah. Camelbacks, they're not new, but they're newish. Uh, they're Dirt Series insulated podium bottles. So oh. it's an insulated I bottle. Love, I love the insulated bottles. I love them. Yeah. They work. Yeah. I've needed them this year. I, I, you know. <laughs> Unless I get out for a ride at three o'clock in the afternoon and sometimes even then, you know, so you can put hot or cold liquids in the bottle. <laughs> These bottles may very well go with me to dirty cancer. Uh, they'll hold temperature for a reasonable amount of time. And then on top of that, they've got that flip off nozzle cover so that you don't have mm -hmm. to suck down a wad of cow poo if you've been out nice riding touch. in the nasty. Yeah. Does it keep them from freezing? Do you know? It, it, you know, if you put a hot because that's the only part that freezes is that like that I've had that problem riding them really cold with those bottles right. is that everything stays fine except the nozzle I get then all of a sudden like do you know what I mean like the ice gunks up in there <laughs> my my drink freezes in there makes it hard to I have to chew on it and yeah <laughs> the whole thing right it's like why am I I don't here? I don't know about that obviously because we're not getting freezing temperatures here we're we're fair. just getting that's lots fair. of like you know low forties and rain. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, one of the things they did do is they've redesigned the top, particularly mm -hmm. the nozzle, so that it can be disassembled for more thorough cleaning. You can—that's really good. It's because, amazing. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. So you don't have to soak them in bleach anymore to make sure all right. of the little nooks and crannies are devoid of mold, which is what I, I just did. build my immunity. <laughs> yeah it's fine so i'll be learning more about just how great these are i mean i'm already a fan of camelback bottles but i'm doing bike monkeys fish rock event this coming weekend where it will be in the 40s and raining so That's i will have a need for warm liquids um Oh, yeah. This This will be my fourth event of the season and my third one where it will be cold and raining. I, Hoping for some drier, warmer weather for all of us. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, Celine, speaking of uh, stuff you've written, there was another piece that yeah. you published with Bicycling this week uh, about mm -hmm. sleep. Um, yes. And I'll include a link to it in our show notes. I summarize a few of the big takeaways about sleeping. Um, this piece is very uh, honed in. What they wanted to do was look at if so, we uh, let me backtrack. So we know that when you skimp on sleep, and that the, the definition of that, they usually use a five-hour for a sleep deprivation is what the studies usually cap it at. Like a five hours a night is sleep deprivation, but kind of <laughs> anything agree. under six, yeah. Uh, you know, is low, right? Mm -hmm. Seven is ideal, seven to eight, seven to nine, depending where you are in your training cycle, who you talk to. But less than six, uh -uh, not so good. Uh, because sleep is really, and I've written a lot about this, and this is not just in this piece, but uh, you have your brain has a glymphatic system mm -hmm. that really only operates when you sleep. It yes. opens up because your lymphatic system is separated from your brain. Um, yeah, so the brain sort of sits there in its isolated desert, except when you sleep. And then the trash gets taken out. And you actually really want the trash getting taken out of your brain. It's a good idea. Yep. It helps keep your brain healthy. They think there's maybe connections to Alzheimer's, when, yes. you know, like if you don't, if that's not functional. So super important that way. When you sleep, you pump out a huge percentage of your human growth hormone. So it's, 
it's when you repair. It's when all the training you do sinks in. All of that stuff. And it it has a very, and this is where this study comes on that I just wrote about. We've always known that short sleepers are more prone to uh, diabetes, metabolic problems, weight gain, all of that stuff. I, it, there seems to be a lot of things going on. One is inflammatory process because you're not recovering, so you're just more systemically inflamed, and that's just not good for anything. Your cortisol's up. It also messes with your appetite-regulating hormones. So if you've ever found yourself just noshing all day when you're when you're tired, yep. that's just part of it. Your brain's just trying to like take care of you because it thinks something's terribly wrong, and you're just like so you're. So your circadian rhythms are off, you're eating more, your appetite's off, your insulin, you become more insulin resistant, so you're more likely to gain weight. The whole thing is kind of a mess. So what they would, but a lot of people then will like burn the candle during the week, sleep in on the weekends and hope to make up for it. So this study (laughs) looks specifically at that. And what was interesting was not so much that it didn't work really, right? So they had a bunch of people just sleep however long, up to nine hours during this period of two weeks. And then they had some that they kept to five hours. On the weekend, they could sleep as long as they want. And then as they went into the next week, back to five hours. And then just some that they did deprived the whole time. And all of the people who had some sleep deprivation gained weight over the study, they all became a little more insulin resistant. But what was interesting is even though some things got a little better, like the insulin wise for the um, the people that could sleep in on the weekends, it got worse once they went back into the next week. It was almost like their body just had this weird rebound effect and, and their circadian rhythms were off too, which yeah. just compounded the problem. So it's just, I tell people all the time, respect your sleep. My dad, I feel really passionate about this because I think my dad honestly messed up his health permanently. He used to be one of those sleep is a waste of life kind of people. And he would just, you know, he was always active and he was like strong as a horse, but he had a heart attack young and he put on all this weight and his metabolism was like, as he got older, he was just kind of a mess. Mm-hmm. And I really believe a lot of it because he never gave himself a chance to, to recover. He never, you know, he was always a five to six hour guy. And I'm like, that's just not enough. Mm-hmm. It's not a waste of life. It enriches your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's really important. There's a, a, a sleep neuroscientist or a neuroscientist who specializes in sleep. His name's Matthew Walker. And in 17, he released a, a book, Why We Sleep. And mm-hmm. the for me, I, I haven't had a chance to get all the way through the book yet, but I listened to an interview with him and he put the fear of God into me, you know, what you were talking about hmm. with the glymphatic system. Someone else re- recommended that too. It's, after I wrote that it's remarkable. So there's a certain amount of cleanup that he says mm-hmm. only takes place between the sixth hour, the end of the sixth hour and the end of the eighth hour, that two hour period, hours seven and eight. Uh, there's a certain amount of cleanup in the brain that only happens then. And that is the portion of the cleanup process that seems to be most heavily indicated in the rise of Alzheimer's. That's very interesting. Yeah. So when I heard that, cause I'm somebody, I, I want to live a long time and I want to be able to write for as long as I'm living. I, you know, at some point I'll have to give up cycling, but I I don't want to give up typing. Well, I don't want to be Alzheimer's out. You know, at, at, at 80. Does. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, there is that. Yeah, we're all on the same page. And so that really put the absolute fear of God into me about taking care of my sleep. And so I've been working very hard to make sure that I get at least seven, but preferably eight hours of sleep. Yeah, and you don't need to be, it's, it's interesting because I've also written and, and read some stuff like people... People, people now stress about their sleep so much it's messing with their sleep. Like, please don't like strap yourself up like whatever. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, it just it, because also I have interviewed not that guy, but also I've interviewed many sleep and neurology researchers, and it's even if you're lying there resting, you are still doing yourself some good. Yeah, right. Like it's best to sleep, but it is don't get all crazy if you know if you get uh, like whatever. Just like. Chill, <laughs> you know, chill and just like try it. I worry that people then take it to because we're so all like type A that they take it to this other place where 
they're so worried about their sleep, they're they're sort of wrecking it on the other end of the spectrum. It's right, just, right. Don't worry yeah. about being an exemplary right. sleeper. Right. Turn off your screens. Get a good book. You know, get in bed and get comfortable and like try to try to respect your sleep and get it, get as much as you can, even during the week when it's hard. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Let's wind this up. Uh, All right. So with the North American Handmade Bicycle Show around the corner next mm-hmm. week, in fact, yep. um, I decided to write a post about how we do the judging because I think there still are a number of misconceptions about how we do it. I know that people think that either I or Don Walker, the show director, can veto the votes of other judges, and that's not the case. And that's one of the biggest things that I wanted to get out. But similarly, you don't have to build a $10,000 masterpiece to win an award. There'll be a link uh, to that post in our show notes. Next week will be an episode of The Tandem, and uh, then we will be back with a normal show the week after that. Keep those questions coming. You all have been sending some great stuff. If you got an idea, please drop by RKP and put a suggestion in the comments. Before we go, I'm putting in a plug for RKP's other podcast, The Pull. The show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one interviews. Think Terry Gross for cyclists. This week's interview is with Aaron Barcheck of Mosaic Cycles. Uh, it was a lot of fun to do. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.